your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Habakkuk, right? After Nahum and before Zephaniah. And like I said last week, that still may not help you. All right, if you have to look in the front to find the page number, that's okay too. Habakkuk. Or somebody pronounced it Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Um, so but that, that's where we are, Habakkuk. And we're in this series of Habakkuk. We're continuing the series of Habakkuk. Last week was the first in, in the installment of a four-week series in Habakkuk. Um, so as you hopefully get there and find that wonderful little minor prophet, it's a minor prophet because he wrote less than the major prophets, not because he's less in any way or the message is any less, it's just shorter. Uh, so he was the preacher everybody loved. He didn't have much to say, right? I'm kidding. Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Habakkuk, had a lot to say. And you go look at Jeremiah. But before we dive in here and, and begin to look at this passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we are so thankful for the gift of life, for the gift of eternal life. And Lord, as it says in John 1, in him, in your son, was life. The life was the light of men. And the darkness did not overcome the light. And Lord, that's our hope today, that it did not overcome the light. In fact, the light overcame the darkness. And that's why we have hope today. And Lord, you've given us your word that we might know you in, in a greater way. So, Lord, we come to your word again, and we ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our wills uh, to, to put into action what we learned today, uh, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers, so that you would be glorified and we would be changed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you all ever see, have ever seen the movie Rudy? Okay. A few of you, shame on the rest of you. All right, it's a great movie. You ought to see it. Tremendous kind of story about perseverance and working hard and seeing how that pays off. But in that movie, it's about this, 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 this young man named Rudy who had a lifelong dream. He grew up in Joliet, Illinois. He had a lifelong dream to play for the University of, the University of Notre Dame. And uh, he couldn't wait to get there. I mean, he was just an average high school player, but he was, wanted to go, and he had his dream. He worked hard, and he eventually... Uh, went over to South Bend, and he enrolled at Holy Cross, which was a local junior college, to try to get enough credits and try to get his grades up so he could be accepted into the University of Notre Dame and then try to walk on to the football team. And this is back in the, in the early 70s when this happened. It's a real story. And so he works hard, and, he, and he's there a semester, and he, he fills that application from Notre Dame, and he goes to his mailbox, and he pulls out the letter, if you've seen the movie, and he uh, rejected Works another semester hard, tries to get two people to help him, and, and, and he, he gets a job even at the stadium working on the grounds, and so he gets closer to the University of Notre Dame football program, and, and he works hard, and he applies again, and he gets a rejection letter again, and this goes on and on, and he just keeps getting rejected, and he's just so dejected because of the rejection of not getting into Notre Dame. Uh, at one point in the movie, you find Rudy sitting in the chapel on Notre Dame's campus, and uh, he's just distraught. He's gone there to do everything maybe he can in, in his power to get into Notre Dame. And, he, and he's, he's sitting there in a pew. One, a, a priest that he had met earlier on in his time there in South Bend notices him and uh, kind of approaches him and says, Rudy, I see you're taking this to a higher power. And Rudy responds, uh, uh, I'm desperate. 
I, I, if I don't get in next semester, it's over. It's done. Notre Dame doesn't accept senior transfers. And the priest responds, well, kid, you've done a great job chasing down your dream. And Rudy says back to him, it doesn't matter if I've done a great job if it doesn't come to fruition and I get in. So eventually in their conversation, Rudy asks, have I done everything I possibly can to get into Notre Dame? And he asks the priest, can you help me? To which the priest responds, and I think it's the greatest line in the whole movie. Son, in 35 years of religious studies, I've come up with only two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I'm not him. He couldn't help Rudy get in, right? And he had come, if that, those are two pretty good incontrovertible facts. I think there's more than that, but those are two pretty good ones. And hopefully over 35 years we come up with more than that. That's a pretty strong and foundational. There is a God, and I'm not him. And in fact, that's the title of our message this morning, Habakkuk. There is a God, and I'm not him. Uh, this is one of the most important truths that Habakkuk discovers about God, about what's going on in his world, that there is a God, and he wasn't him. And he discovers this in the midst of great difficulty and great suffering. In, in a world that looks like things are out of control, Habakkuk is reminded that there is a God and he's not God. In fact, this is a truth uh, we all need to be reminded of, don't we? Often. Um, the sad thing is, is there is a God and we're not him, but often we try to make him like us. Uh, maybe you look around in the world and you see uh, major problems and you wonder why. Why are, why are these major problems going on in the world? Uh, or you look at those who, who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, and they, their lives look nothing like followers of Jesus Christ. And you're like, what in the world is going on? Or maybe there's difficulty and pressures and, and the circumstances in your life are weighing you down, and you see no way out, and you see no light in the tunnel. You can't see anything good in the midst of your circumstances. You need to be reminded, I need to be reminded just like, Habakkuk was reminded, and Rudy was reminded that there is a God. And I'm not him, and you're not him. So let's turn our attention to this amazing little book called Habakkuk and discover why this is so important. And before we look at the text, uh, I want to be free to remind you of the context of this minor prophet named Habakkuk. I spent uh, basically the whole time last week looking at the context for those of you who are here. And to those who let, let you know, it is now on our website. We got the problem fixed with our audio issues, and now it's on there. And if you scroll down that front page before you get to the Abide Reflections, you'll see it. And you can click on that, and you can listen. I, in fact, encourage you, if you weren't here last week, I greatly encourage you to go and listen to that. Not because I did it, um, but because it's so important to understanding not only the book of Habakkuk, but all the minor prophets, all the major prophets, God's work of redemption in our world. And if you don't understand what I explained last week to some foundational degree, you will not understand God's word. You'll be like, what in the world is this about? And you'll especially do like that with the Old Testament. So I encourage you to go listen to that uh, in, um, on our website. But let me just remind us that God has a plan to rescue people from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. People from every people group in this world i mean heaven's going to look unbelievable i think we have five continents maybe four or five continents here, here in our body 
It's going to be all seven continents and every nook and cranny of every single tribe, tongue, people, and nation in heaven. And I can't wait for that. That's what it's going to be like because God has a plan and his plan will come true. He promised to bring a savior from, uh, that, that would save us from sin through the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which then Jacob's name was changed to Israel from the, the nation of Israel through the tribe of Judah. And he will keep his promise even though the nation of Israel continually rebelled against him. And it continually, continually rebelled against him. And continually rebelled against him. And that's the story of the Old Testament. The nation of Israel, God's people through whom he promised to bring a Messiah, rebelled against him time after time after time. And then we saw there was a split in the kingdom. And, and, and just we won't deal with the northern kingdom. All 19 kings were wicked. The southern king had 19 kings, one queen. Some wicked, some good. And, and the, uh, the southern kingdom you know, had its ups and downs. And the date for Habakkuk is during the early part of Jehoiakim's reign, which took place between 609 and 597 B.C., and that is important. Uh, Jehoiakim was Josiah's son. He had had a son uh, reign right after Josiah. Josiah was probably the most godly king um, outside of David, maybe even more godly than David. He brought great reform. He found the book of the law, which had been put away. All the kings were required to read and then copy down for themselves a book of the law, the book of the law first five books of the Bible. And it was so, gotten so bad, they had just pushed it off the side. They lost the law of God, the word of God in a sense, in, in a physical sense. And they lost, then they lost it physically, they lost it spiritually too. And, and Je- Jehoiakim, I mean, uh, Josiah, Josiah uh, during his time, they found it and he reads it and he's so convicted and he, he personally repents of his own sin and he calls the nation to repent and, and brings about all this reform. And there were some, I'm sure, that did repent generally. But it didn't take long after his death and things started going downhill. And the son that, that reigned for three months after him and then Jehoiakim, which is his second son, and he was evil. He overturned everything good that Josiah did. If you all remember this from last week, if not, I'm uh, reminding all of us. The worship of false gods in the, in the southern kingdom was at an all-time high. There had never been... I say greater, greater in the sense of in, in immensity of the worship of false gods in the southern kingdom as now. It was awful. Uh, homosexuality, what some people call sodomy, was encouraged in Judah, in Jerusalem. And I mentioned this last week. In fact, it's, history shows that the, the, the houses that lined the, the, the way to the temple were, were, were um, infested and owned by homosexuals all the way to the temple of God. It was awful in the southern kingdom. It was awful in Jerusalem. Judah had rejected God in his ways. Things were not good with God's people. Things were not good in the world at this time. Uh, just to, 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 to let you know, the name Habakkuk means to embrace or hug, which is fitting because Habakkuk needs a hug. And that's what he's looking for. He needs a big hug. And maybe you feel like that's how our world is. That's how your own world is right now, wherever you might be. Your own family, your own job situation, whatever the difficulty, you feel like the world is crashing in and you need a hug. I'm telling you, just like Habakkuk, you can get a hug. And you will get a hug as you listen to what God has to say about himself and about 
this world at this time in our world today, he's going to give you a great big hug. Matt, I hope that encourages you. Have you ever met somebody who just gives good hugs? I mean, there's nothing like it. Just a good hug, a good comforting hug. Some people get like bone-crushing hugs. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a hug that brings comfort in the midst of your trial, the comfort in the midst of your despair. There's somebody that just hugs you. Well, let me remind us here um, briefly uh, of uh, the theme of Habakkuk is, God, I have a question. I have a question, God. Habakkuk has a couple of them. We're going to look at both of those actually this morning. Um, And also remind you of the outline of Habakkuk. Here is Habakkuk, uh, his first question, verses 1 through 4. The the second part is God's first answer. Habakkuk's second question, God's second answer. And this should say again Habakkuk's response or Habakkuk's prayer of praise. Um, This morning we're actually going to look at the first three of those. How about that? We're going to cover three of those this morning. Awesome. Come back next week. We're done. Not quite. All right. Number four will be next week. Number five will be the next week. We'll be four weeks in the book of Habakkuk. Um, So we're going to cover the first three of those divisions so that we might respond to God's word and bring him glory, which will bring us hope. Let's examine the first part of Habakkuk's uh, of Habakkuk here. Habakkuk's first question. Look with me as I read. Uh, um, in verses 1 through 4 of Habakkuk. Let's follow along with me. The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I I cry out to you, violence. Yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored. And justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. It seems as if the Lord is not listening. And responding to Habakkuk's cry for help. And it is a cry. Just think about that. Things are so terrible in Judah. And I just described what it was like in Judah. And what it was like in Jerusalem. And you read those and you go, oh, okay. Now I see. It's exactly right. No wonder he thinks that. No wonder his, his, his heart is like this. His, his cry is like that. Look at the words that are used just as you look down through here. There in uh, verse 2. I cry out you to violence. Look at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And cause me to look on wickedness. And again, yes, destruction, violence. Strife exists. Contention arises. I mean, th- this is a serious situation that Habakkuk finds himself in. Things are terrible in Judah. And it's, it, sin is at an all-time high. He says that in ver, it, it, it says this in verse 4. Look at it again. He says, the law is ignored. Uh, some translations say paralyzed. The law is paralyzed. Nothing's happening because of the law. There's no action on the law. That's what the, the, the word means, all right? So it's ignored or paralyzed. And justice is never upheld. Now, I'm not sure if never is exactly right, but it's so bad that's exactly how he felt. There's just a little counseling here. Please never say never. You never do that. I mean, that's, we have to get through that sometimes in marriage counseling. Always. Don't say not always and never. Always and never say always and never. But sometimes you feel like it's always and never, don't you? And I think that's where Habakkuk is. It's like never is it upheld. Look at this. Well, it sounds very similar to our day, doesn't it? This, you're like, whoa. 
I mean, when did he write this? Well, he actually wrote it about, you know, probably around 607, 609 B.C. You know, whoa, man, 2015. Sounds very similar. I love what John Phillips um, says concerning this when he writes. This is very hard-hitting. Listen to this. A permissive society, which was like this, redefines sin. Today, a drunkard is an alcoholic. A thief is a kleptomaniac. A murderer is a victim of society. Adultery is merely having an affair. Sodomy or homosexuality is an alternate lifestyle. The wholesale slaughter of unborn babies by abortion is condoned on the grounds of a woman's right to choose. Pornography flourishes under the guise of freedom of the press. See, what happens is when we begin to ignore the law of God and we walk away from God's word and, and walking after him and following him, what begins to happen is we begin to not only not follow, we begin to re- redefine sin so that it makes us look okay. No, no, it's, longer, it's no longer sin. It's just a problem. It's just a difficulty. It's just a stumbling block. No, it's sin. And yet that's what happened. They're not even calling sin, sin anymore. Sin's lost its sting in this society. And to be honest, sin has lost its sting and its reality in our society as, as, all, as well. Well, where is God in all of this? That's what's about. God, where are you? But look at what's going on. Why does he seemingly, in, in, is he seemingly active and does not seem to respond to Habakkuk's cry for help? Why is he seemingly inactive and doesn't seem to respond to our cries for help? When we look at our own personal world, we look at the world around us. Why does he seemingly not step in and deliver from the dilemmas? Habakkuk's first question is, in, question is in essence, why do you allow this evil to persist, God, and not answer me? God, why is there evil in the world? That's his question. That's Habakkuk's first question. Let's look at the second part of Habakkuk, uh, God's first answer, and this is verses 5 through 11. Um, I'm just look with me first at verse 5. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told now how many of you all heard that said quoted how many have heard it i mean i've heard it a lot i've heard this quoted often this is like some people's favorite verse and some people's only verse they know i think all right and and how is it usually quoted how do usually people use this quote um that Look among the nations, observe, stop, I'm going to do something wonderful in your day, and you, you wouldn't even believe it had been told. Well, it's usually God is going to do some mighty work, which is all blessing, all smiles, and goosebumps. Generally, that's the, time, that's the only time I ever hear that verse quoted. It's all good, and God's going to do something wonderful. Oh, flowers, here we go. And that's usually how it's quoted. But I want you to see this verse in context. And that verse is used twice in the scripture and it's never ever used like that. It's scary almost when you truly understand what God is saying in answer to Habakkuk's question. Paul uses this very same verse when he's speaking to unbelieving Jews in the city of Antioch as he shook off the dust against their rebellion against God. What he says in Acts 13, 41. Behold, you scoffers, and marvel and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone describe it to you. This is a quote, actually, from Habakkuk, from that verse, 1, 5. Is that a gushy kind of thing? 
No, and what he's getting ready to describe to them is the destruction of the temple in 70 AD as a God's judgment on the nation of Israel, which continues to reject Jesus as Messiah. That's what it's talking about. Who wants in on that kind of blessing? Let's all quote that verse now. Nobody wants to quote that verse now when we understand it. And when we go and look at what it says in the back, it's like the stories retold in Acts. Because Paul rightfully uses the verse in context and rightfully explains what it means and what it means to their day and, and what all the, the, the principles in the verse always mean and what they mean even in our day. Here in Habakkuk, the Lord is getting ready to answer Habakkuk's question with something that seems unbelievable. That's what, you're not even going to believe this when I tell you what I'm going to do. And Habakkuk doesn't believe it. And no one else would either. But listen to what he does here in verse 6. And we'll go read down through verse 11. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. All right. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate within, within, with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. Wow. When Habakkuk is prophesying here uh, to uh, the southern kingdom, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans are beginning to take over as the world power. They've, they've conquered Assyria, and now they're just kind of step by step in conquering the whole Assyrian empire. That's what's happening when, he, when he's writing this. It's been happening for quite a few years when he writes this. Uh, the Lord says, in, in his words here, we'll look at it here in a second, the, the Lord basically says, he's going to allow them not only to become the world power, but to include Judah and Jerusalem in their conquest. What? God, look how bad things are. Look how bad things are. What are you going to do about it? Why aren't you answering? Well, here's your answer. I'm going to let the Babylonians come and conquer Judah and Jerusalem. That's God's answer. In fact, we, we, we saw last week, this is exactly what happened. Let me remind us of what happened here. The Babylonians sacked Nineveh, which is the Assyrian Empire in 612. Uh, again, uh, um, Jehoiakim is reigning. Uh, Jehoiakim is reigning at this time. Jehoiakim is reigning at this time. And uh, he reigns from 609 to 597 B.C. And Habakkuk prophesies this, so they're coming. And then guess what happens? Sure enough, just like God said... Here comes the Babylonians in 605 B.C. They, they conquer Jerusalem. They take a bunch of leaders, about 500 leaders from Jerusalem into captivity to Babylon. All right? And then Jehokim doesn't learn his lesson, and he tries to rebel. So in 597, they come back, and they capture Jehokim. All right? So you're not in charge. We're in charge. They take more keep people captive, and then they continue to rebel. And guess what happens in 586 B.C.? They destroy the temple. It basically just sat Jerusalem. Just got like God promised would happen. That's what happens. He took this nation 
that's conquering everybody to bring discipline and judgment on the nation of Israel. And uh, so what, what, what he's saying to Habakkuk, hey, you think it's bad now? It's getting ready to get a whole lot worse. And history proves. You can go read a history book. You don't have to read the Bible about what I just told you. That's just true. That's what happened. Because God said it was going to happen. God allowed it to happen. So it's going to get real bad. If, you, if It's bad, verses 1 through 4. Listen to what's going to happen. It's going to, you won't even believe it. It's going to get worse. That's what he says. I mean, who, who wants those kind of answers from God? We don't. We don't like those answers. Well, look, the, the, the description in verses 6 through 9 shows that, Babel, that Babylon, or the Babylonians, were not merely interested in conquest. They were focused on destruction. They're dreaded, their fears, it says. The horses are swifter than lefters, the keener than wolves in the evening. It says, it says that they, they, they're like an evil swooping down to devour. They don't just want to conquer, they wanted to destroy. Utterly annihilate people in their paths. Look at verse 10. They also want, they want to humiliate. They seek to humiliate. They mock at kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. They're just mocking people. Oh, just, okay, put your wall up. No problem. You're king. Nothing. You're nothing. And that's what they did. Humiliated the last few kings of the southern kingdom. They humiliated them. Uh, then in verse 11, they're arrogant. Look at this. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on, but they will be held guilty. Listen, they whose strength is their God. They think that they're in control. They think that the reason they're conquering everything is by the power of their gods and their power. They don't understand that God is the one in control. And he's the one allowing this to happen. Now, it doesn't seem right, but that's what's happening. Yet, this is, this is the answer to Habakkuk's question. God, why aren't you answering? Why do you seem silent? Okay, here's your answer. I'm going to use the nation of Babylon to conquer Judah and Jerusalem. That's the answer. The truth is that God sometimes acts in ways we don't understand. Anybody with me there? Yeah, he does. Sometimes he acts in ways we just don't get. In fact, sometimes, a lot of times, he acts in ways we don't understand. And, that, and you read that, and you're like, whoa, that doesn't make any sense. That's why he said you wouldn't even believe it if you were told. And he tells him. And we're going to see Habakkuk doesn't believe it. All right? Well, let's look here at the third section, the third part of Habakkuk, in verses 12, uh, chapter 1, down through verse 2, verse 1. Look at verse 12 first. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Right before Habakkuk's second question, Habakkuk is reminded of the character of God. And, and he finds a little hope here. So look, look, look what happens. First, he's reminded of the fact that God is eternal. He says, are you not from everlasting? He's not asking the question, are you everlasting? He knew he was everlasting. And he's just going through this, hey, God is everlasting. He's eternal. He stands outside of time. He's over his creation. He reigns over all eternity. Uh, he, he's Google Earth to the nth degree. You ever seen him go, go, you ever Google Earth? It's pretty cool. I mean, I like to get on, oh man, we, we get on there and check out things and get to go places that we would normally get to go. Oh, I went to Jerusalem the other day, right? It's, just, it's amazing. But God is, God is Google Earth, and he doesn't just see one part of Google Earth. He sees it all. And he's in control of it all. 
He's eternal. He's outside of time. He's outside of his creation in the sense that he was not created. He's been everlasting to everlasting. God is eternal. And, and this brings some comfort to back in the situation. Think about that. that know that he's eternal. And, and he remembers this, and it brings him comfort, and it should bring comfort to know that our God is eternal. Secondly, he's reminded of the fact that God is holy. What he says, oh, Lord, my God, my holy one. He's completely righteous. He always does what is right. Now, wouldn't that be a good thing to remember in the midst of something like this? God always does what is right. So, you know, God, I don't understand this whole thing about the Babylonians and about you using the, these people to come in and take your people captive and run through them and run roughshod and all that. Kind of, I don't understand that. But I know you always do what's right. And Habakkuk's remembering this about the character of God. It brings comfort to him. Third, Habakkuk is reminded of the fact that God is almighty. Look there. It says, and you, O rock. Actually, some translation it says almighty. The, 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 the literal translation is rock, but it's sometimes interchangeable with the word almighty. When it's rock. He's immovable. He's almighty. He's all-powerful. And this, too, the fact that God was all-powerful. You, you're seeing this, the, the, the most dreaded nation at this time in the history of the world. It was the Assyrians. And the Babylonians come and knock them off. This is power like they'd never seen before. And they're coming for Ju Jerusalem. And here Habakkuk's reminded, oh, God, but you're almighty. You're all-powerful. And fourth, Habakkuk is reminded of the fact that God is faithful. Look, look at the words there. We will not die. You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Uh, the word Lord there is the word Yahweh. Um, it, and it, when you go back and, and you find out when God first called himself Yahweh, at least revealed that to Moses, uh, I am who I am. I'm eternally existent. And, and you see the word Lord used throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's speaking of the faithful covenant promise-keeping God. That God keeps his promise because of who he is. He's faithful. And you see this all the way throughout his promises to the nation. And Habakkuk remembers this. And he sees that God is using the Babylonians. He says, you've appointed them to judge. You've established them correct. He, he, he's appointing them, the, the, the Babylonians, to, to, to bring discipline on the nation of Judah on Jerusalem because of their sin and rebellion against him. Habakkuk remembers the faithfulness of God. And it brings him great, great comfort in the midst of his difficulty. There's a glimmer of hope in Habakkuk as he remembers the character of God. A glimmer of hope. Yet, he's still got a question. I like Habakkuk. He's just honest. God, I know you're this. I know you're eternal. I know you're holy. I know you're almighty. God, I know you're faithful. But I've still got a question. You ever feel like that? We know all that about God. We really believe that with all of our heart. But God, I'm looking around. I don't get it. I need some help. So let's look at verses 13 through 17. And, and now he's got this glimmer of hope, but he, I still got a question. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil. He just said he was holy, right? And you can't look on wickedness with favor. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why have you made men like the fish of the sea, like creeping things without a ruler, ruler over them? The Chaldeans, 
bring all of them up with a hook. Drag them away with their net. Look at this picture. All the fish, all the people you created, drag them away with their net and gather them together in their fishing net. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they offer a sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their fishing net. Because though these things, or through these things, their catch is large and their food is plentiful, will they therefore empty their net and continually slay nations without sparing? Are they going to keep this up? I know all those things about you, God, but I don't get it. I'm having a hard time understanding your answer to my first question. I'm having a hard time how you can use the Babylonians to bring about judgment and discipline of the nation of Judah, your people. I mean, after all, they're more wicked than Judah, right? Well, are they? Look at verses 1 through 4. It's kind of amazing that Habakkuk brings this up. I mean, these guys are bad. And yet he's just confessed to God how bad they are. Maybe we're not. Maybe they're not as bad as we are. But, but that's his dilemma. They, they, bad. They, don't, they don't even acknowledge you as God. At least some people still around here acknowledge you as God, these terrible people. How can the Lord, with his impeccable character, which he just recited, reminded himself of, how can the Lord, with this impeccable character, use a wicked nation to bring about his purposes? The fact is, he's done it before. And I gave you many examples, but let's just take Egypt. Right? So Joseph, one of the twelve sons of Jacob, who was Israel. All right? You remember what they did to Joseph, right? They threw him in a pit. They put a, they got, they, 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 his dad paid favorites with him and gave him this robe of many colors. And he told him he had these dreams, and he said, hey, when I grew up, you're all going to bow down to me, and his brothers didn't like that, and I wouldn't like that either, and I probably did the same thing to my brothers. All right? So they take him, they beat him up, throw him in a pit, and they sell him off, um, and he gets eventually to Egypt and becomes a slave. And then just through miraculous events, God, um, uh, uh, Joseph dies. His brothers come there. It's, a, it's an amazing story. I haven't read it in Genesis. But um, he dies, and then the, the pharaohs after that don't remember Joseph. The pharaohs before, they really liked Joseph because he was just a great man of excellence, and he bloomed where he's planted like God wanted him to. And they forget, and they put him under slavery. So God raises up a guy named Moses to deliver them. And God uses the nation of Egypt, evil nation who hated him, he uses them for his purposes. The nation of Israel multiplies like mice. All right? That sounds gross, but it's just how they did it. It just, boom! All right? You got one mama, you probably got 20 babies running around, and it just multiplied when they're in captivity for over 400 years, which is prophesied by God. They just multiply, and the nation just grows like crazy, all under the wicked rule of Egypt. And then God even uses, it's amazing, their own Egypt's pride and their wickedness to deliver his own people from their hand. So, does God ever use people who hate him and are evil? You bet he does. This is nothing new. He's done it before. I can give you many more examples of that. Now, and, 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 and maybe God brought that to the back of his mind. I don't know. I don't, we don't have record of that, so I'm not going to speculate. But we know that for sure. Now notice what Habakkuk does in verse 1 of chapter 2. Right, so listen to God's answer. I mean, I mean he's, he's listening to God's answer. He says, God, I mean, I know you're all these things, but man, I'm still having a hard time with this whole using the Babylonians 
to bring discipline on us. And they're the ones who need discipline. Here's what he says. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Habakkuk wisely steps back, admits this. I'm not God. I don't have the answer to this, God. And I'm waiting to hear from you. And, and if you notice the words, I will keep watch to see what he will speak. He's going to patiently wait. All right, God, it doesn't seem like you're answering right now. But I know I don't know what's going on. You've said this was going to happen. I don't get it. But I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait. And I'm going to wait until you speak. And help me have a better understanding of what's going on. That's a pretty wise thing to do. Pretty wise thing to do. In James, we see the first chapter of James, it talks about how people what are quick to speak and they're slow to listen. Well, we don't want to be like that. We want to be like a back. We want to be quick to hear, slow to speak. And that's back. I want to invite us here to, as we think about this passage and this, this amazing, I mean, if you never read Habakkuk, I mean, that's, are you kidding me? And that's what Habakkuk said. Are you kidding me? It's, it's, it's hard. And we think about our world and we think the same thing's happening today and it seems like God's given the same answer. I think about, I was reading um, a thing by uh, Martin Lord Jones, who was a, a pastor in London um, years ago, just a crate. He was a, um, actually a medical doctor who became a pastor and just a tremendous teacher of the Word of God. And he was talking about communism and what was going on in his day and how it was taken over. And uh, God, how, how could this happen? I mean, look at this. And yet God used it to bring about revival in the church ultimately. And we're, we're, we're probably thinking, well, yeah, the Islam stuff, the Muslim stuff. I mean, that's kind of our world, right? You think God's in control? You, you think Islam's in control or God? I think God is. And God can even use something that these extreme Islamic militants that are doing awful things in our world today, not different than anything else that's ever been done in our world today. Sometimes we're like, man, they didn't have to deal with the, the, the Muslims back then. Yeah, they had the communists who were killing everybody. And before that, they had Egypt that was killing everybody. And there's always been somebody like that. And God somehow, and I don't, I don't understand. I'm not presuming to understand exactly how he does it. He still uses all those things for his purposes, for his people. So listen to this. In some ways, the Muslims are our friends. I'm not saying we agree with others. They're friends because God will use even the wickedness of the terrorist out there trying to kill everybody for his good, for his people. You believe that? If not, then we got a pretty puny little God, don't we? Habakkuk at least believed that. we got to get to the same page of Habakkuk. I don't get it. I mean, look how this is happening in our world today. And yet we ought to pray against that and them taking over. Yeah, but... Hey, the Lord's in charge. I'm not saying don't be. In, I'm not saying be inactive, be active. But finally, he's got to step back. Lord, I don't understand, but I'm waiting on you. I want to see what you're going to do. I want to listen to you. I want to hear what you have to say. So I want to. Just, I want us to just think about as we think about this, four things to to, to practice to to apply from this passage. First of all, understand that God sometimes acts in ways we don't understand. We have to understand that. We have to believe that we have to embrace that fact that sometimes he works in ways we just can't see 
who works in ways we cannot see, he will make a way. It's like the song says. Sometimes he does. Secondly, embrace the character of God. Embrace the character of God. Be reminded of the character of God. When you're struggling, go back and think about the character of God. Look at his word. What's, what are the attributes of God? What, who, who is God? And, and here we see that he's eternal. That he stands outside of time. He stands outside of the creation. That should bring comfort to us. He's eternal. He's way before the worst things we can ever think of. Right? He's eternal. Uh, secondly, we saw he's holy. He always does what is right. Always does what is right. He's pure. If you think back um, when, when Abraham's talking to God about Solomon Moore and, and Lot and his, 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 his nephew Lot's in Solomon Moore and God's getting ready to destroy him and, and Abraham goes through this whole thing of, okay, God, if there's 100, if there's 50, if there's 10, would you save him? Yeah, yeah. But before that, he says this. He says, will not the God of all the earth do right? He was saying, God, you will always do what's right. I know that. That's always true. You've got to know that he is holy. He is righteous. He will always do what's right. Wherever you are today, whatever struggle, whatever pressure, whatever difficulty you are, whatever things are coming against you, you think, man, this is, God, I don't understand this. I don't get it. Know that he always does what's right. Always. Thirdly, remind yourself of the truth. There is a God, and I'm not him. We need to be reminded of that, don't we? That's some great wisdom. There is a God. We need to believe that, right? And we do believe that. But we need to be reminded we're not him. We don't stand above all. We don't see the big picture. We are not Google Earth to nth degree. We don't get to see the whole story. We're in the middle of the story. And sometimes God gives us a bigger picture, but sometimes he doesn't. There is a God, and I'm not him. And you're not him. And I'm glad I'm not him. And just to be honest, I'm glad you're not him either. Because we'd be in trouble if any of us were God. We wouldn't be here. Fourthly, continually seek him and look to him for the answer to the problem. That's what Habakkuk comes to. He says, Lord, I will keep watch. I'll continually seek you. I'm going to look to you for the answer to this problem. And we've got to trust God will show us that answer either now in in this life or in the life to come. That he will show us the answer. He will help give us better understanding to what's going on. And that's what he's going to do the next week um, with Habakkuk as he answers him. But let me tell you, he's not going to answer all Habakkuk's questions, just in case you know. But you're going to see amazing change in Habakkuk after God answers him. Think about this. We just have to trust God sometimes with stuff we don't understand, stuff we don't get, stuff that's difficult. You know who also had to trust God in, in, in one aspect? So things he didn't understand. Things that were very, very difficult, more difficult than anything that you and I can ever imagine. Jesus. Look at this. Matthew 26, 39. He went a little beyond them. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it is possible that this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. In Jesus' humanity, is fully God, fully man, but there were things that God did not disclose to him. He was under, he submitted himself to God the Father. And remember he says, people say, well, when's he going to come? He says, those are things that only the Father knows. And there's some things there in the mystery of the fact that God, well, he was fully God, fully man. Here is this part of the fully man. He, he's like, God, I don't get it. 
these people sinned. They're wicked. And it says that we find in Corinthians, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. He took upon the sin of the world. He never committed a sin in his life. And it says in the Garden Earl that he sweat like drops of blood. Anybody have swept like, swept like drops of blood because it's so difficult? Maybe you have. And that's difficult. Why? Because he knew the only time in all eternity that the Father and him were to have broken fellowship, not broken relationship, broken fellowship. And he couldn't think about that. He couldn't imagine how bad that would be. We can't imagine how bad that would be. He's like, Lord, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. But look what he says. He says, I don't get it, my Father, if it's possible. I mean, another way, another way. Yet not as I will, but as you will. He didn't understand, but he sought the Father for the answer to the problem. And oh, did God have an answer to the problem. We wouldn't be here if he didn't have an answer. And his answer was that his son would die for our sin. He would be placed in a grave, showing that he was truly dead, and he would be raised on the third day to conquer sin and death, just like he promised in Genesis 3.15, and through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the nation of Israel. Because God's got a plan. And he will work that plan. Good news. There is a God. And I'm not him. If you don't know that wonderful God, my prayer is that you would see that he has this plan and his son died in your place. The sins that you committed that you deserve hell and death for, rightly, he didn't commit sins. Jesus, in fact, came and was perfect. And he died and he paid our sin debt. He nailed it on the tree rose again to give us life. And God says if we would turn, if we divert, then the Bible is repent, if we would turn from trusting in ourselves and our own good works, our own power, our own imagination of what God might be like, we repent, we turn from that, and we turn and we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who's righteous and gives us his righteousness. He earned our righteousness for us. We would trust in that. He transfers his righteousness to our account. And God says, my son, my daughter, holy righteous, blameless saint because of what Jesus did. And my prayer is, if you've never done that, you would do that. You would trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior over sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this this, this book of Habakkuk. Uh, that in most of our Bibles, the pages are sticky. We, we, we got to peel them apart. But Lord, what amazing, what an amazing truth. Truths that we see in this passage. Lord, Help us trust you in the difficult times. Even when you do things we just don't understand, it doesn't even seem right to us. Lord, help us trust your character. Remind us, Lord, that the good news is that, that, that you are God and we're not. And Lord, help us persevere to continually seek your face, to continue to seek your word, to continue to seek you and wait for an answer. And Lord, the reality is sometimes the answers that come we might not like. Or the answers that come may not come when we want them to, but Lord, ultimately they'll be for our good and for your glory. Lord, remind us of that this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.